0: all right let's
1: do this hey everybody welcome back to the hunt harvest health podcast this is doc hillary and it is another beautiful weekend here in montana it is not snowing remarkably and so that means this weekend i am going to be out in my garden um getting my beds ready. It's quite a mess out there from the winter. We have, because we live in the high plains area, we have lots of tumbleweed that need to be cleaned up. And we have grown lots of weeds in our boxes and just grass and everything needs to be raked and dug and um, ready for planting. So Ryan is still on a bear hunt. He's been gone most of the month. I'm not sure how much longer he'll be gone. It could be another week. It could be another two. Who knows? So I'm going to get out there and get going on the garden. I'm really feeling a space to do that in my life right now. And the weather's beautiful. So we have to um, do it while we can if it's not snowing here in Montana. Um, it's a little too early to plant. Obviously, I'm going to plant some flower seeds maybe a little bit of lavender out there. But other than that, we're just going to be getting the the garden ready. So doing this gardening series has really helped to motivate me to do that and to get back to plants, get back to nature. And each time that I listen to a podcast and talk with with Sean about this, um, it just helps motivate me um, how important doing something like gardening is. And I've also been working... um, since I got COVID and have had some struggles with COVID, long haul stuff, um I've gotten back more into meditation and trying to quiet my mind. And I feel like gardening is just the next best step for that. So I'm gonna be doing that this weekend. Um, I wanted to just also take this introduction to just talk about some of our um partners and sponsors here at Hunt and Harvest Health. They rarely ever talk about that. Um Mainly, I talk about the nutrition company that we have, Ryan and I, Stealthy Nutrition. Um, that's that's our definitely our biggest sponsor. Um, Stealthy Nutrition was a basically started with CBD, as you all know, and in bringing CBD into the hunting um, realm. And it's been a very interesting process over the last three years that we've been on this journey, but. Stealthy nutrition has really been a fun, um, business for us to do it. You know, you know, my life's work and my service, uh, life's, um, my life's work is to be in service to people and to help them be healthier. And so I just felt like this was a great adjunct to what I already do, um, in medical care. And so bringing CBD, the power of this plant to, to folks, and then also, Uh, A very kind of strategic line of supplements related to anti-inflammation, anti-aging, gut health, which is really big. And keeping a lot of the, putting what you want in and keeping everything else out. So, our manufacturing process is super clean. Um, Our facilities are all, have all the fancy letters and um, accreditations that we want when we're looking for a healthy supplement company the ingredients are of the highest quality and yeah we get back ordered quite a bit and that's because we are looking for the cleanest safest raw materials and that has actually been very hard to get since covid so i've been pretty impressed with my manufacturers doing a really good job with keeping product as well as they can in our hands um which is good. Our CBD comes from Oregon. It's certified um, organic. It's again, has all the accreditations, no solvents, no pesticides, no heavy metals. Um, We have COAs online. You can see everything that is and isn't in our products. Um, And so just, you know, like I said, that's my life's work and I'm dedicated to this. And so these products have really come... I guess out of me wanting to offer something different in the outdoor and hunting space. So that's Stealthy Nutrition. If you go to, um, I'm really excited to say that we are going to be launching our new website very soon. So I'd love you to go to StealthyNutrition.com and look at the products. Pretty soon, within probably the next two weeks, we are going to have Stealthy Nutrition and Stealthy Hunter together. And so you can go there. And you can get 10% off um, by subscribing to our email list. And we also have, you know, specials throughout the year, et cetera. Uh, um, Stealthy Hunter is our original, um, obviously, brand. And those products that come from Stealthy Hunter currently are the ones that Ryan has designed. So the uh, scope cover, the glassing pad, the kit sack. Um, we do have some swag on there. We are about to come out with some new swag. And, uh, uh, that's a, a great melting of the nutritional products with some of the swag and the branding products, as well as these functional pieces that Ryan's designed to, um, work in the backcountry for your rifle and, and everything else. So, um, stealthyhunter.com is going to be our main URL soon. And you can go there and find everything. And that's going to include stories and recipes. are all going to be in one place. Um, oh my gosh, I can't wait. It's been almost a year in the making. So I'll let you know when that comes out for sure, but please check those out. Those are two, two things very close to our heart. And, and we appreciate all of you out there that have, um, contributed and, and helped to make yourself healthier. Um, the next obviously is the Western Hunting Summit. Three weeks, four weeks, we're going to be doing those. Uh, yeah, about four weeks, we're going to be doing those. So if you still want to go, we're u- letting you use a code HHH at checkout for $100 off. Um, it's going to be fun this year. And I'm really excited about the family camp. We're going to have an amazing group of people with their kids. Um, most of the kids right now are between the ages of about nine and 15. So I think it's going to be a great group. Uh, we have our friend Alicia Zemlika, She's going to be the childhood coordinator. She's a powerhouse of a woman. She's an amazing huntress. She is a CrossFit champion. Um, she's a mom of a young little girl herself. So she is really excited. Then we're also going to have our friend Emily. Emily is going to be helping um, with the children as well. And Emily is, um, I believe she's a speech pathologist for children in her, in her real job, quote unquote. And so she works around kids all the time. So we're excited to have them there for that last week into June. Now that's also a combo. Uh, camp so if you don't have kids you don't want to bring your kids but you want more of a combo experience with the education and the speakers etc um for mule deer and elk please come to that one and we still got openings for that um, we've also got uh andy the flip-flop guy is going to be cooking at every single night at family camp um we're going to have children's activities during the day for them to be a part of but if they're older kids and they want to be part of the education they can as well um, they're going to have their own 3D archery uh, course. They are If they're older and they can handle it, they can also do the adult 3D archery course. Um, we're going to be doing some geocaching, some survival training. We're going to be doing backcountry first aid with our backcountry uh, MD uh, expert, Corey Tinglestad. He's going to be doing a special course for the kids as well, which is going to be super fun. So there's going to be a lot going on that weekend. And then we're just going to all come together in community and be together as families and um, have fun. So if you're still interested in that, go to westernhuntingsummit.com. Also, we work with companies like Peaks. Peaks is our main sponsor this year for the Western Hunting Summit. So, you know, you can go and use the code stealthy at Peaks and get your sissy sticks and or your um, Peaks gators. That Ryan wears literally every single trip. Uh, he's probably wearing them right now, somewhere out in the in the mountains. Um, you can also go to Birch Barrel. So Birch Barrel has been a great partner of ours. They have supported us in the Western Hunting Summit, like, immensely. We can't even, I, I can't even give enough thanks to Corey and to the guys over at Birch Barrel who have literally made our summits in the past like what they were, came and cooked for us. Um... I love the team at Birch Barrel. They are just the best people ever. So if you don't have a Birch Barrel and you want to get one, you can go to birchbarrel.com and use Stealthy at checkout as well. Um, Heather's Choice, Stealthy. We love Heather. She's killing it in business and she just rebranded. She has some amazing foods to check out new meals. So go check her out. You Also use the code Stealthy um, to get a discount coming up for the fall if you need meals for the fall. And then um, sheep feet orthotics. We haven't talked about them in a while, but they give about, they give 10% off. So if you want some sheep feet orthotics, uh, which I have in my hiking boots, I actually have them in my shoes that I wear out in the garden when I work. They keep me supported. Ryan has them in his shoes for sure. Um, use Stealthy 10 at checkout when you go to SheepfeedOutdoors.com. Stealthy 10 to get 10% off um also we work with made with meat uh we are going to have giveaways this year made with meat has been generous and they have given us some vacuum packers i think there's a grinder yeah some cool things um sous vide machine that we're going to be giving away at the summits this year so if you want you can go to our website at stealthyhunter.com under shop you'll see made with meat and if you go through that link you can um I think you get free shipping or something like that. I'm not sure, but check them out. They've got the best. And then of course, Excalibur's in there. We love their dehydrators. We've used them. You know, we love the meet your maker dehydrator, the stainless steel one. Then that's by far our favorite. It's the sleekest one looks the best, but Excalibur as well. We have worked with them for years. So you can also check them out on our website. Um, let's see. Oh yeah. We're going to be switching over email, so I'm not going to talk about that right now because once our new website launches, we'll be shifting up our email list, but that, um, if you haven't already gotten on the list, you can go do that on stealthyhunter.com and you'll be getting notifications when we launch the new website. We're going to be having launch specials, all kinds of stuff. So make sure if you're not on our email email list, please go and do that. And then of course, if you're anywhere near Coeur and you want to go sit in a sauna and do sauna therapy, um... Heat Praxia in Court Lane, They're downtown. Great friends of ours. I'm actually having them build me a sauna. I'm getting my basement done and I'm going to have a bathroom with a sauna. I'm really excited about that. So they have their, they have their membership, uh, place there in Court Lane. You can go, you can also, they will make you your own sauna. So if you go to heatpraxia.com, that's P-R-A-X-I-A. Um, They'll give you all kinds of deals there if you put in Stealthy Hunter. So Stealthy Hunter, heatpraxy.com, if you're interested in that. Um, you can also talk to them if you want your own sauna. All right. So uh, you can follow us on Instagram. You know that. Usually I'm posting on at Hunt Harvest Health for this. Ryan posts on his when he's around at Stealthy Hunter. And if you want to follow me personally and, you know, see what I do and more of the personal realm, at Doc Hillary. At Stealthy Nutrition is also another place we are. I don't post on there as much as I should. It's just, can you imagine? We have all these Instagrams, it gets a little difficult. But of course, WesternHuntingSummit.com, um, we also have one for that. So I just wanted to give a shout out to all these people. Please to go watch the gritty films. Support gritty. He works super hard on making these films at Ryan's Inn. They they're out there hunting right now, making films for you all to enjoy it is really, really, really hard work. Like I've been on these hunts. I've seen what they do. I've seen him and Brad, the filming, all of the hard work and the hours, hours, days, weeks that go into sitting behind a computer to just make one film. Um, it's, it's mind blowing. So you can go to Gritty on YouTube. You can also find, follow Brian Call on Instagram but please go watch the Gritty Films on the new website. We're going to have a link to all the films. So that's going to be another great, our new website's going to have so many cool um, ways to get to see where Ryan is out there in the world. But go support Gritty Films. Um, besides, I think they're the best films on, best hunting films on YouTube for sure. Uh, hands down. So, all right. Uh, today we are going to be talking with Sean, Gardening 101 again. And we're going to be talking transplanting. We're also talking water systems and we're talking fertilizer. So this is a longer podcast, lots of great information, tons of tidbits. Uh, again, Sean is so gracious. Me and him get together basically Sunday morning and we have tea together via zoom. He lives in Missoula. I live in Three Forks and we chat gardening and it's been so motivational for me. So, um, yeah, that's what this podcast is going to be about today. So hopefully you enjoy this. Um, Reach out to Sean at Frank's Little Farm uh, on Instagram is where you can find him as always. Um, He is a great resource. And yeah, I think uh, this will give you even more motivation to get going on your either small garden or your, like mine, large garden, which I'm about to go out and work in right now. All right, everybody, have a great day. Let's start with transplanting. So we left off last time, we left off talking about seeds and, mm-hmm. um, and you know, getting them, getting our starts going, all that kind of stuff in the basement or in your greenhouse or wherever you're doing that. And so now we're going to transplant them in our garden. As I look outside right now, it is May, I don't know, it's Mother's Day today, whatever date yeah. that is. It is snowing in Bozeman, Montana. And, uh, it's not a good time to transplant right now where we live. We have learned in the past, uh, that we really can't, my mother has a, she says there's an old wives tale cause she's lived here 40 years is you never plant until all the snow is off the Bridgers. Um, because traditionally you're going to have a freeze of some sort. So that's the old wives wives tale that we have here. And the Bridgers just got annihilated with snow yesterday Bridger Bowl actually looked like it was fresh, waist-deep powder, so um, I don't know when it's going to be. Also, our trees are budding really late this year, so the weather has been colder, and um, transplanting is probably going to happen later here, but why don't you just kind of take this over, especially in climates like where we live, and and how you kind of assess that.
0: Okay. Well, thanks again for having me here, happy okay. Mother's Day to you. Thank you. Yes. Um <laughs> Let's see. So once you get your plants up and going, um, you know, transplanting can really start uh, once you start to see your first true leaves. You want to give your seedlings enough root growth to get themselves established, start taking up nutrients and water and all that. Um, So the first leaves that come out are the cotyledons again. And then from there, you'll get your first true leaf. And then, you know, like once you get a your first true leaf up and out and um, developed, you can really start thinking about transplanting if you want. Um, you can carry that to maybe your second true leaf, depending on what it is, your third maybe. But you, you don't want to let them go too far. And, and I'll remind people, you know, back to when we talked about Transitions, particularly in that first podcast, we talked about transitions a lot, and that's more based on root growth. So you don't want your roots to start swirling around in that pot. You don't want them to hit the outside edge of the cell that they're in, and then start you know building up, building up, building up. That's what you want to avoid at all costs, um, if you can, um, because one of the things I'll say a lot is that roots make fruit or roots make vegetables and you've got to have a broad wide root mat to take up enough nutrients and food so ideally you can get your transplanting done when you've got your first true leaf or your second true leaf you know out and uh, growing the plant's not terribly large and your roots are developed but not you know like swirling at the bottom of the plant or all around and making a a tight root ball Um, and so that's kind of the optimal you know time to do it and then you know transplanting really is is pretty easy for the most part Um, depending on what it is um or excuse me what it's in so if you're in if you're in a, a little container that has say six cells which we call a six pack, or if you're just in like a single small little pot, one of the things that you'll want to do is um, you want to pick up whatever it is you're working on, and if it's like a, you know you got six cells or twelve cells or whatever it is, um, what I like to do is I like to stick my index finger and my middle finger around the stem of the plant and flip it over. And then I'll begin to massage. And it's easier, you know, with the smaller um, celled um, packets, um, it's easier to massage that because the plastic is is pretty soft. But you want to massage the outside of the plastic or work it in some way. Maybe if it's a larger pot, you can usually push down on the bottom of the pot. And you want to try and free up that um, soil so that it'll pop out onto your hand. And I'll backtrack just a little bit here and say that um, you don't want to do this when the plants are dry. Um, you don't want to pop that, you know, if you're popping things out and the, you know, the, the soil is dry, put it back in there, water it, walk away for an hour, come back and then start over again. Um, ideal conditions are water the day before, come out, check things or water in the morning and then work on transplanting in the afternoon. Um, transplanting from, you know, from pot to pot is something that you can do, um, you know, almost any time of the day. Morning's a little better. You know, direct sunlight is going to, it's not going to adversely affect them, but it, it's going to be a little more challenging for them, you know, because there's a little stress involved in being transplanted. So Try and be selective if you can, when you transplant, as far as sun goes and being outside or if you're in your house, it's not that big of a deal. You can set it in your window and whatnot. Um, So you want to work that plant out of its pot and um, the water, you know, having them watered, you know, the day before or, you know, a few hours before also will help the, if you don't have very many roots at all, will help the soil stay together. So once you, um, pop that, um, plant out of whatever it's in, then, um, it will, we'll start with, we'll work into another pot. So if you're potting up, you're going to, what I typically do is if I'm, you know, and I'm usually working out of six packs or 12 packs. So there's either six cells per square 12, I will, um, have all my soil ready and, um, feel like I'm a little bit all over the place, but you'll just have to bear with me here, folks. Okay. okay. Um, so you wanna have your soil ready and you want your soil conditions to be similar to what we talked about in the last podcast with planting seeds. You want it to be moist. You want it to have water in it. You don't want it dry, um, if at all possible and um so have your soil ready have your new pots ready to go and have them you know there in hand so and then i'll pop my plants out and i'll lay them out and i try not to do too many at a time you know say do six or if you're doing you know if you've got a 12 pack do half of it and you can lay those out sun won't be terribly detrimental as long as they're not sitting out there all day or something Now, will be kids come and distract you and you get pulled away and come back and your plants are laying there unhappy. Um, That kind of sucks. But ideally, you've got your perfect conditions and you can lay your plants out and then get your pots. And then you want to fill the soil up and in the new pot. And what I typically do, and, and you'll have to find what works best for you and what you like to do. But what I like to do is I'll fill the pot right up to the very top. Give it a little tap um, on the bench or whatever you're working on. I usually work over a, a bin with a board over the top. Mm. And um, you want to try and get that soil settled in so that there's not any air gaps or pockets or anything like that. And then I'll take my take my left hand and I will make a hole with two or three fingers. Anything make a, a, a hole larger than, than the root wad or the soil block that you're transplanting over to the next pot. I'll pick up my plant and I'll slip it down in there and then I'll just loosely bring soil around it and, and to the center of, you know, where the center of the pot to where you've transplanted into. And you don't want to pack. You don't want to be packing that soil down super tight because that makes it difficult for your roots to travel. And it makes it difficult for water to absorb in the soil. Mm -hmm. So you want things, you want things, in there well but you don't want it packed down you don't want it firm you don't want anything like that so you want that space so really just drag the soil into the middle give it a little tamping, and you're good to go and and that's pretty much it and then you can set it aside and finish transplanting up whatever it is that you've got going and if you're feeling like you know your soil is maybe a little dry, or maybe it dried out as you were working. You can give them another light watering. Um, and you don't want to drown them if you can help it. Just give it a light watering, let that water settle. That can also help settle some of your soil. And then from there, you're kind of, you know, you're pretty much done. It's pretty straightforward transplanting as far as that goes. Um, and, you know, what, whatever it is that you're transplanting, um, I'm going to say that for most things, you really just want to transplant it into the new soil and cover up your old soil block and the roots and make sure that they're well covered and that the soil comes up over the top of them. And then as you water thing, you want to make sure and keep an eye on so that your soil doesn't settle down and expose the top of that root plug because if that occurs, then your root plug from the transition plant will dry out quickly. You want to have mm-hmm. soil over the top of that. And if for some reason your soil settles down on you, you notice that your root plug is sticking up out of your pot, just get, grab some more soil and throw it up over the top and, and lay it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, you don't want to plant over your cotyledons. Again, those are the first two kind of oblong leaves that come out you don't want to plant up over the top of those um, because sometimes that can cause your stems to root or rot excuse me or you know just kind of break down and not do as well now there is an old technique with tomatoes that people like to do where they will take the tomato plant that they're transplanting and they will bury it uh, you know they'll take off a whole bunch of leaves and they'll bury it and that is something you can do, um, and um, it's not going to be harmful because it, you know it's true. The old stories are true. The tomatoes will set roots from the stem. If it, you know, if they're buried, you know, like if the stem gets buried in the soil, they'll start to set roots out of the stem. Mm. Um, but tomatoes are one of the few things that I know of that will do that. Your peppers aren't going to do that for you. Um, you know, cabbage, broccoli, kale, chard. Any of those things, your flowers, you know, I don't know of any flowers that do that. Um, to the best of my knowledge, tomatoes are the only thing um, that does that, although my guess is, is there's something I don't know about. Um, and again, I'm not an expert, just lots of experience. Um, and so: you
1: are an expert, Sean <laughs> <Say> that <laughs> i <I'm> saying that. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, yes. I don't know. You are Compared a resident
1: expert. That's why we are here.
0: <laughs> Compared to some of the farmers I know, um well, I am
1: always somebody who knows more than you, believe yes, me.
0: Yes, that's They're for sure. Like that. Yeah. Um but um, you know, tomatoes are gonna do that. However, in my opinion, if your root structure and your roots are not root bound you don't need to do that you really only need to plant it up above that top of the soil line from your from your original seedling uh whatever the the soil block size is for that and you know plant over make sure you plant over the top of that or up to the first cotyledons and you don't need to worry about that you don't need to trigger the plant into creating roots off of the stem which is more work you know, like if, if you're concentrating on making sure that the the roots are not root bound, then your plants are going to take off, right? Like they're going to go into a bigger pot. They're going to have lots of room and they're going to stretch and they're going to push out their, you know, their um, roots and they're going to be fine. So I don't, I don't typically recommend that to my gardeners that come through the farm stand or come through market and talk to me. Um, I, you know, like, I just don't feel like it's necessary unless, you know, like you're dealing, you know, if you end up having a, a tomato plant that is just really root bound and you want to try and like get it going, you know, at a better rate and you've got the time, then you can try and like, you know, do some of the things they talk about where you can massage the roots out or maybe cut them a little bit and then bury it deep and you know, let it go from there. But to be perfectly honest, in my opinion, that's going to take time. And if you're Northern climate, you may not have that kind of time, right? If you're in Bozeman or anywhere in Montana, most places in Idaho, you're not going to have that kind of time, particularly for like heirlooms, right? Something that's taking 80, 90 days to produce fruit from when you put it into its last either pot or into the ground you don't have that kind of time and that's why focusing on the roots from the beginning is so important is that those good transitions will ensure that you get fruit later on because the plant isn't stressed it's not being set back it's not working harder than it needs to be it's just doing what it needs to do um and so you know that's essentially transplanting from one pot to the next it's really straightforward it shouldn't be too difficult um, you know, sometimes the hardest part of it is getting that dang pot or that, excuse me, that plant out of the pot. Um, that can definitely be, you know, challenging at times, depending on what type of plant you're trying to get out of it. Um, and, you know, maybe we should cover soil a little bit. So, you know, your seedling soil. Um, is going to probably be different than your soil medium for your plants. So if you're, you know, taking a seedling and you're moving it up to a larger plant or excuse me, a larger pot, that soil is going to ideally have more nutrients in it, more fertilizers, um, depending on what you, you know, what you end up buying, um, And at some point maybe we'll try and do a a little bit more in-depth dive into soil. As I've mentioned before, I, I mix almost all my own soils. Um, And so like I'll add fertilizers and, you know, depending on what I'm doing Um, and you know, that can be beneficial as long as you don't overdo it. But for most of the home gardeners, ideally what you'll, you'll be doing is you'll be working with a new bag of soil and that, you know, most of the soils, today, if you're working with an organic brand or whatever, they'll have some fertilizer um, numbers on there. And, you know, just get something that's well rounded and um, move up into that. And there should be nutrients, nutrients in there, at least for the initial, you know, say four to six weeks. Um, And if so, if you're, if you're gardening out of pots, And um, hopefully we can get into this more in depth when we get to fertilizer later on here. Um, You're going to run out of nutrients more than likely throughout the life of the plant. So you will have to take into consideration adding, you know, feeding your plants more as they get older. Um, Once the roots take up all of the space that they can get within that pot, they're going to eat everything up in there. And then you're going to have to start supplementing them in some way.
1: Okay. Yeah, I have a question. So I woke up this morning and I have a lot of geraniums that I've wintered over for a number of years. I planted some over here. You can see Mm -hmm. And I woke up this morning, I planted them last weekend. Um, but I noticed some of the, um, that the soil has settled some, right? So some of the root wads have not totally covered. So today Mm -hmm. I was like, I need to add more soil to it, make sure they're covered. And then I have these old geraniums that do quite well, but they're really big and they're, they need to be transplanted. Like they need more soil. They, they're like growing out of the pot. I can see they're not really getting much, much from what they've got in there. And so, um, Do you recommend, um, when I see them, they're quite big and I think to myself, maybe I should split them up. Like what, what is the best time to like, if you have a plant where you could separate it and maybe create a couple plants out of it, is there a specific time when you would want to do that? Would you want to do that now when it's a little bit, or would you want to do that in the winter when they're a little more latent? I guess is my question.
0: Well, I think Honestly, I probably don't know the best answer for that, but I'll take my stab and say, I think one good period of time is now earlier in the spring before they start getting more sun and more heat and, you know, just all the different things that cause them to take up more nutrients. They're just, they're going to start doing that as time goes by. Um, However like you know like for things like that like geraniums and, and pots sometimes you can't pot up anymore you know it's just like you're looking at going from a a 2 or 3 gallon pot and your next step is 4 to 5 gallon pot and like yeah. your house is like like overflowing and <laughs> you know like I
1: know um Ryan's like why do we have these stupid pots they break our backs so we're having to move <laughs> things around and stuff <laughs> <It's> like yeah <laughs>
0: And, yeah, you know, yeah. we've got lots of houseplants. And this actually might be a really good um, question for my partner, Prairie. Um, and sometimes you run into a, a houseplant or a flower that it won't come out, right? There's, right. The shape of the pot is kind of funny, right? It, it's rounded and then it narrows and you can't get it out of there. Yeah. Not, you know, we've got a couple that it's just, it's like impossible unless you break the pot off of it. That's right. your next, you know, your next opportunity or your next, like, option um so you know if you feel like you have to pot up um i don't know for certain how well they'll survive if you try and separate them and we can talk about some of our tricks for separating plants but i've never tried separating like a large plant from um another plant when they're large i've done it when they're much smaller in the stage that we were just talking about a minute ago when you know you got one or two three true leaves um, we have a really good trick for separating plants then um, most plants i think you could get away with like cutting cut them break them apart and then move them into a new medium and um, by medium i mean soil move them into a new soil and a new pot and then just kind of baby them along. There might be some um, you know, you might be able to do some micro rhiza, um, which is a uh, nutrient type of thing that you can put in some water and water them in a little bit of um it's not really fertilizer, it's more of like a, a nutrient to help stimulate a little bit of so- uh root growth. Right. Root growth, um yeah. and you probably don't want to feed or fertilize newly like broken apart plants, um and because that might shock them it might be a little bit of a shock to get a bunch of food um, you know right after they get separated you want to give them some time to adjust once they get transplanted and this goes for any transplanting thing right like um at least within pots um so don't feed them right away gives them give them some time to adjust into that pot um, and, you know, if, if they're looking a little wilty or sad, don't overwater. Um, remember to pick your pots up, feel your pots and get a sense for how heavy that pot is when it's really wet and how heavy it is when it's dry. Um, you know, like the, the, and, and if it's a really big pot, you know, like we were just talking about Ryan breaking his poor back, lifting that pot. Probably doesn't break his back to lift up an elk kind. But.
1: <laughs> I know it's like, are you kidding me? Seriously, your snow Glacier backpack weighs more than this most weeks of the fall or whatnot. Yeah, it sure does.
0: It sure well, does. We just
1: pull him around. I've gotten a system. I do a lot of stuff on my own. So first of all, my husband's gone a lot. Second of all, if I wait for him to do it, it will never happen. This is what women learn. <laughs> so I have a system where I put a towel underneath my pot. If it's heavy and I don't want to pick it up and break my back, I just pull it.
0: Mm. So I
1: have it on a towel, and then I'm able to pull it to where I want. Because in my house, I get a lot of south-facing sun, but then I also get really good west-facing sun. And I do move my plants around depending on the time of the year. So in the winter, they're all kind of south-facing over here. And then I just move them all over here to the west side because it's starting to get really warm. On that south side, it's a little bit too much. And so I just put a towel under my pots and I slowly, I have wood floors. so I don't want to wreck them, but I pull them across on that. And I do have a huge jade plant that, uh, yeah, she takes a couple people to move. Yeah. But, um, other than that, I try to keep it. And as far as my transplanting, so what I've learned with this pot situation, like I've broken pots, like you just said, you and Perry trying to get a plan out. So I actually pot them in the, like, you know, where you buy them at the nursery, I just, the plastic. Things and then I put them in the pot because then I can take them out to water them. Whether in the winter it's in the shower, I'll do that, or in the summer they're going to be outside, anyways. Right? Then Mm -hmm. I'll move the pot out and then I'll put the thing in the pot. Now, sometimes I'll do them right in the pot, like my jade plant is right in the pot. I don't have it in anything, but it stays in the house all year long, so it's not getting moved around a whole ton. But my geraniums, you know, I need to water them and move them and pick them up and do stuff. And I, I can't be picking up those pots outside all the time. Now, the other thing is for shopping wise, I mean, they have pots now that are plastic and they look like really nice pots and they're much cheaper and they're light. And um, so that's been super helpful. I, I have all these big, heavy clay pots, you know, and those will break your back. And so I just started some buying, beautiful pots that are sort of plastic looking that I'm able to move around. So, um, yeah. And I think here the problem we have sometimes, especially coming from Washington when we transplant, when we start our starts, we get them going and then it's like, they've they're getting kind of leggy and we can see the roots are growing. We need to get them in the ground and somewhere where we've screwed up in the past is in, is in Washington. We could put them in the ground. Like right now, we Mm -hmm. April, end of April, beginning of May, we would be putting plants in the ground. And here we can't really do that. So there is that extra step sometimes. Either we don't start them too early because Mm -hmm. then we don't have that problem. Or if we do, we learned if we do start them early, we have to transplant them into a bigger pot because we're not going to be able to put them outside yet. Right Like it's snowing right now, so we wouldn't be able to be transplanting them, so we have to put them in a bigger pot. So I think that's also thinking about where you're at, and when you're starting your starts, and you know, if you need to transplant them outside, when you can do that, and then you know this whole in Washington, we rarely ever did that.
0: We yeah. rarely
1: ever transplanted a tra- we never rarely I, I don't ever remember transplanting a start into another pot that wasn't you know before we put it in the garden. But here we've had the problem where our plants are like, get me out of these little things, but we can't put them outside, so we have yeah. to put them into a bigger pot. Yeah.
0: And that's not only is that a, a really good tip, the towel, um, but um, that's a uh, that's a a, a good um, a really good point as far as like where you are and how much potting up you may do. So like, you know, Doc is dead right. So we pot up almost all of the things that we start from seed in pots, almost everything gets potted up. So when I start broccoli, cabbage, kale, chard, they're started in small cells, usually in in 12 packs, which is a pretty small cell. Um, And then from there, all of those varieties are potted up into a three inch pot, which is, you know, it's usually three by three on the round and then about four inches deep. And then they'll live in those pots for say three to four weeks and then they'll get transplanted outside. Um, So like I'm getting ready to do that right now with um, broccoli and cabbage. I've got a whole bunch of them in three inch pots and they're just about ready to go on the ground. I'm just waiting for this little cold snap to uh, finish. So ideally by Monday, Tuesday, I'll be putting them out. And then as far as tomatoes go, um you know we again we start them in the same size cells and then um we sell a ton of tomato plants and we end up potting those up into even a much larger pot it's a five and a half inch pot which is you know it's like five and a half inches wide and then like seven inches deep um and you know, that just gives the plant more time in that pot because I'm selling these plants to customers. Um, the plants will get a lot more time in that pot so that I can like ensure that my customers are getting non-root bound plants and that when they purchase the plant, they can go home and have some time. Um, and you know, whether it's a week or two, like a lot of times, like right now, even here in Montana, people are ready to start buying their plants. The weather's kind of tampered that that spirit down a little bit this year. Um, but for the most part, people are really starting to think about their gardens, particularly the folks that have been gardening for a while. Um so you know that is that is a fantastic point to make is like you got to evaluate your microclimate, where you're at, whether you're northern or southern, and you know, whether you're ne- gonna need to pot up somewhere in there and you know, making sure that you've got the supplies to do that. Because if you don't pot up, you run into really leggy plants and really root-bound plants, which are just not gonna be as successful for you. Um and so let's does that does that seem like we cover from pot to pot pretty well should we
1: yeah no i think that's great
0: all right yeah. so let's, let's talk a little bit more about transplanting out into your garden um whether that's boxes or directly into you know your garden beds um so for the most part everything's you know kind of the same however i think i would I would make the recommendation that if you're transplanting out into the ground and it's possible transplant in the evening, if at all possible transplant in the evening um, and the later, the better, because these plants aren't, you know, you're not going to be able to um, move them around They're, You know, they're going to be a little more sensitive once they get out into the climate that they're, they're in, you know? So if you're doing your potting up in your house and, you know, the weather or the temperature is a little more regulated. The sun isn't direct. There's a lot of different little factors that are going to f- affect those plants. But when you go out into your garden, they're going to be exposed to the world. They're going to be exposed to the wind. They're going to be exposed to the rain. They're going to be exposed to the sun. And it's going to be full on. And so if you can give them a window of transition, even, a you know, like an eight, six whatever time amount of time it is hour of time in the ground to do a little settling a little transition um that's going to be really helpful for them now this isn't mandatory you know like a lot of people out there are on tight schedules and everybody's working so it's not going to be mandatory um but it, it'll be helpful you know your plants will be a little happier and there'll be a little less stress um and then you know for the most part it's kind of the same thing um you know, ideally, you can dig your gardens um, and not till. Um, and again, to be very fair, I do a lot of tilling. Um, however, it's it's your least favorite thing to do, right? Like tilling really digs up the ground. It breaks up all the mycorrhizae, all the life going on in there. It kills your worms. Um, so if at all possible, take a spade or a broad fork or whatever it is to, to stir up and and till up your ground. But you want to loosen up your soil, get it loosened up um and you know if you're if you're adding compost to that or you're adding any type of nutrients to that make sure you do that a few days ahead of time even a week um if possible the more time you give that soil to adjust to whatever you put in there the better before you start sticking plants in them. um and then it's just kind of the same thing right you know you take your plant you flip it upside down stick your fingers around the stem pop it out of its plant and then i you know do the same thing. And this is going to be one of the areas where transplanting in the evening can be helpful. I pop things out of the plant or out of the cells or out of the pot and lay them on the ground where they're going to go. And then, um, you know, and, and sometimes this is a 50 foot bed, right? This is a 50 foot bed. That's got 40, you know, plants going into it or whatever. It's hard, you know, it depends on the spacing. Um, but you know, if I'm doing kale, kale's on an, um, you know, my kale plants are all, uh, eight to a a foot apart so we'll lay them all out get them out of their pots lay them all out and then come back and plant them um and you know if if it were really sunny and it was the middle of the day i would not do that i would transplant them one at a time pop them out of their their pot and put them in the ground one at a time because you don't want those roots exposed to like full sun and heat. And then, so a few other little tricks that we do when we're planting into the ground is we will add a little bit of fertilizer to the soil. Um, So I'll have my plant ready to go. I'll dig my hole, which for most of you know, like unless you're doing like big tomato plants or something larger, it's usually just your hand. I just use my hand. Um, Or maybe you want to use a hand spade or something, but you want to make your hole. And then, if you want to try a fertilizer, I would recommend, you know, something with a medium um numbers and we can dive more into the numbers. Um and and MKP, is that right? M MPK? MPK, I think. Um Nitrogen,
1: potassium, phosphorus. Uh-huh. Or yeah. Or
0: nitrogen phosphorus. Yeah, we
1: have a document on our website called the Big Three. It's free. Yes. You can go download it. It just talks about these nutrients and what they're good for.
0: And if we don't get time to talk about that in detail today, we will we'll go into it more in the future. Okay. Um, but you know, you want to have something that's that's fairly well rounded as far as you those three numbers go. So if you've got like a four, five, two or a three, three, two, or you know, whatever it is, you just you don't necessarily want to get something unless you're trying to do a very specific thing that's like 1015, right? Like 10 nitrogen that's high, right? So you want to like try and keep your um, numbers kind of on the lower range. And you know, you don't want to overdo it on your fertilizer because you can burn and stress out your plant. Um, So you dig your hole, going back to the transplanting into the ground, you dig your hole. And then if you want to do a little fertilizer, you know, like take I usually do like a three finger pinch is what I, you know, train everybody that's volunteering to help us trap. So you do a three finger pinch, you throw it in the hole and then stir it, right? You want to stir it into the soil a little bit. You don't want to just sit in there in the clump so that the roots are going through like pure fertilizer. You want to stir it into the soil and then you can place your plant on top of that and bring the soil in around it. Same thing here. Make sure that that's that, um, that root ball or your your transplanted soil block is covered all the way. And, you know, you'll have the exact same thing. You water in, maybe for, you know, like this happens to me all the time. I get distracted, I water everything in, the soil sinks a lot, and then my my root block is sticking out up above the soil, and it's gonna dry out, right? Before You know the soil around it does and that can kill your plant so make sure it's buried well and then after your first watering come back and check on your plants and make sure nothing's settled too much um and don't water too heavily just make sure your soil is is good and wet um and you know we'll get into watering systems here hopefully in a little bit but you know that's that's essentially transplanting out into your soil or into your garden boxes it's all Pretty much going to be the same. Um, and you know, if you know, if you end up having to plant during the day, maybe try and pick a cloudy day if you can. Or um, if you know, if you're going into your garden boxes and your schedule's tight, and you got to transplant in the morning, if you've got a little bit of that white fabric that's called Rime, maybe you can throw that over the top to provide a little shade. just run with it you know like again it's not gar it's not rocket science science they'll more than likely be just fine most people just transplant out and go and things are fine um you know in my world we're looking to make things as smooth as possible um because you know we're really counting on the production of that plant so um i want things to to grow as 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 well as possible right <clears throat> um okay I don't know, you got any other thoughts on that, uh, that so part?
1: what type of um how about we just go into fertilizer from here okay you just brought that up so yep, if you're again. going to use fertilizer and you have your optimal one do you have any brands that you recommend
0: um let's see um i don't know if i can think of the i do have a brand that um i work with but I don't know if I can think of it off the top of my head. It's okay. You
1: can just let me know. We can put it in the oh, show notes. Okay. I think that yeah. there's a lot of choices for fertilizer. So when people yes. go to the nursery and they're like, Oh, what do I get? Is it safe? Is it synthetic? Is it natural? What, what would they be looking for besides this ratio? Is there something that they would be looking for versus like a chemical fertilizer or a natural fertilizer?
0: Well, I think, um, one of the things that you can look for that's really simple is the OMRI listing. It's O M R I, I don't know that Mm -hmm. Ackerman off the top of my head, but that's the organic like certification standard. Okay, great. Uh, And you know, that's typically on the bag or the box or whatever it is, you know, if you're getting a liquid fertilizer, um. And, um, that's typically on, um, the product that you're buying somewhere on there. You can ask whoever it is there. If you're at the hardware store or whatever, you know, where are your organic fertilizers or where is your OMRI listed fertilizers or, you know, non-GMO or something along those lines, what you really want to try and avoid is like the synthetic, you know, like fertilizers that, um, like big ag is using something along those lines, like pneumonia or, um, you know, those are, those aren't going to, that's not healthy. You don't want synthetic chemicals or fertilizers. You want things that are made out of natural, like bone meals and kelp and bat guano. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it, and it can be important to pay attention for chicken manure. So if you're buying something that has chicken manure, chicken manure can be hot and by hot, meaning lots of nitrogen and it can burn your plants. So, if you get something like that, ask whoever it is that you're buying from about it. How hot is this? Is this gonna burn my plants? Should I be careful with this? Um, I don't typically use um a um a chicken based fertilizer um however, your numbers on the front you know like if it's like a three three two that should be pretty safe um and you know like I've got my I broke my my organic gardening encyclopedia out here to like cover some of the fertilizing (laughs) stuff because this is really one of my weaker areas
1: yeah Um, it's it's so confusing there's a lot of stuff going on i mean i go to the nursery and i'm like uh okay i want to go back to chicken poop because mm -hmm. we have chickens and we have a lot of chicken poop so let's take me as a scenario right now my boxes are a mess and they need to be cleaned up and we're going to add some i got some composted soil that I has um I couldn't tell you the ratio but it's like a composted soil that you amend into your boxes it kind of just helps bring more nutrients in again and then I have all this chicken poop that we cleaned out of the chicken coop should I add that to my boxes and how long if I did add that to my boxes do I wait before I plant
0: Um, so I would not recommend taking chicken poop, like out of your chicken area or the pen, whatever it is they're in and adding it into a box you want to give, you know, so if, if your chicken, chicken poop, you know, if your chickens are on, on some type of bedding, whether it's, um, wood shavings or straw or whatever, When you clean it out, whenever you do your cleaning, you want to move that and either put it into your compost and turn it into your compost and give it time to break down. Give it time to cool off and work its way into soil. Um, And ideally, that's like, you know, like a month's kind of thing. You know, like you're adding that in and you're breaking down your (laughs) compost and
1: And like Montana, that could be 12 months. It's so dry here. Yeah, so I was thinking I have my compost bin. I take all that hot chicken manure that we cleaned out of the, the beds. We put that in the compost. We cover it with straw and all that. And we put it in, cover it, let it get good. And then over time, that will become compost that we can add shovelfuls to the garden as we go along or is that something that we add like next season when we're amending our soil
0: i i so when it comes to chicken manure or chicken poop i err on the side of caution personally just because in my experience if it's not already processed you can you know you can find a hot spot you can You know, something can happen in there that's going to shock your plants. So, you know, the more time, the better, the more stirring, the better. So, you know, like, and, you know, like, so if if you're not composting necessarily, but you also have, you have chickens, you know, try and start a pile somewhere. And then, so you got your chicken pile with all this, you know, everything there. And then maybe you've got some lawn, add your grass onto that Mm -hmm. and then stir that and let that all break down over the year, and then maybe either add it onto your beds in the fall when you're all done, and that will, like, work into the soil, and then when you start again in the spring, that'll all be in your soil, um, or most of it anyway, some of it will run out with your water, Um, but that will all be there, and you won't be running the risk of burning anything, Um, so when it I would I would recommend caution with chicken food. Okay. just Because you don't necessarily want to burn your plants and set yourself back.
1: What about like um steer manure or something?
0: So or steer manure, manure, manure is way less hot. Um it's it's much easier to take um cow manure that you know maybe you know I don't know if you necessarily want to grab fresh pipe Ah, sorry.
1: <laughs> Start over. Go.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you necessarily want to take like fresh cow patties, you know, like if you're, you yeah. know, eating cow manure from the dairy down the road and throw that right on your garden,
1: <laughs> Right. No, you're
0: going to want to let that have some, some time as well.
1: Okay.
0: However, you know, cows have three stomachs and they digest their food pretty well. And so their you know, like their poop is m- much cooler and much easier to work with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you had a lot of fresh cow manure, um, then you could probably lay that, say you came in in the spring, you had a whole bunch of fresh cow manure, you lay that on your garden beds, you dig it in as best you can. And then you give it a month to sit in there to work, to ruminate, let things work on it, let the worms work on it. And then you'd probably be safe. Mm -hmm. Um, and cow manure is a great um, horse manure, on the other hand, you have to be careful with not because it's hot, but because horses don't digest their food the same way they they, they digest food really poorly. Um, and so you can end up with lots of weed seeds in there, or you can end up with, um, uh, leftover, um, uh, Not for, I keep thinking fertilizers, dang it, but um, chemicals in there from spraying, right? So it's very difficult to find organic hay. And if you have horses and your horses are eating that hay that, you know, a lot of folks spray um, their pesticides on their hay to keep the weeds out, you know, like seed free, weed free. hay is really important because nowadays we're very conscious about transporting that hay from state to state and spreading seeds but it's really typical with horse manure that to hold over those pesticides um and i've experienced this personally one of our first years you know we were getting a whole bunch of horse manure i did all my you know like the questions you want to ask for horse manure is what is it eating where are you getting your feed from Are they spraying for pesticides? If they are, what type of pesticides are they using? Are they using 2,4-D, which is a really old kind of pesticide that breaks down pretty quickly, or are they using some of the new stuff that hangs out forever? Um, And, you know, I asked all those questions and the guy really wanted to get rid of his manure and also probably didn't necessarily know fully, but he also knew what I was doing. Um, and so my questions all got, you know, the boxes all got checked. I felt okay about it. We brought all that in and it hammered my garden. Um, and, and you'll see it, you know, your tomato plants will all be malformed. Um, mostly tomatoes and peppers are the most susceptible to it. The broccoli and cabbage and kale work through it a lot better. The lettuce seemed to do okay with it for the most part. but it will just hammer your garden. And then it'll be in there for, you know, depending on what type of pesticide they use, it can be in there upwards of three to five, seven years. Um,
1: wow. So we had this problem here because uh, we have thistles um, that are considered a noxious weed and in our in our neighborhood here because mm-hmm. we live out on the prairie. And so everybody sprays for the thistles. And there's the guy that comes, you know, every spring he's spraying the, the HSA has him. Not the HSA. The is it the HSA? Home, homeowners. Homeowners, Association. homeowners. Sorry, HOA, not HSA. See, I'm in the medical field. Your HSA account. <laughs> um, they sprayed the ditches and stuff, and then mm-hmm. at, they monitor your property. So we, when we first moved in, we had an entire valley. You've been to our house. There's like a valley behind our house. It was full mm-hmm. of thistles. And they told us we have to get rid of those thistles because they're considered a noxious weed. And so they could get the guy that sprays all the the roads and stuff to come spray our things. Well, we've never sprayed anything. on. We lived in Washington and we never sprayed. And so we were like, Ryan's like, no way. Nobody's coming on here and spraying anything. And we did a bunch of research on what they spray. And it's one of those... Things that they do spray frequently in hay fields to get rid of the thistles within the hay and stuff and then they collect the hay and then they sell the hay either to horse farmers or they sell it to gardeners and so gardeners not only are they buying the horse manure maybe they don't even ever buy the horse manure but they buy this hay and so we watched a bunch of youtube videos where they did boxes where they put this hay in the box like was part of the compost of this box and then It was not in another box, and the plants that grew in that box were either, they didn't grow very good, they didn't get very, um, they didn't get tall, they didn't get good leaves, or they were deformed, and the box that didn't have the hay they grew like a normal full plant and Mm -hmm. so they were saying and I forget which fertilizer it is or this pesticide that they're using but they said you know this is the problem with this fertilizer is that they spray it everywhere to kill all these thistles but then they harvest this hay and then they use it and so if you're going to have people spray that on your property you got to be careful because anywhere that they spray that if you ever want to garden in that soil or you want to use that soil for any reason, it's been sprayed with this stuff. And so you're going to also have the same issue. Don't And, and their thing was like, don't buy horse manure and don't buy hay, because it's almost impossible to get away from that. And we didn't really realize that because in Washington, you know, we, didn't, we weren't having that problem and we didn't have thistles like we do here. So we actually went out, we hand dug up when it was off season, not when the thistles were ready to just explode, right? We went out and we dug up every single thistle that we could find. We hand dug them because some did end up in our garden and they're real pretty. You know, they're like a milk thistle or something. You're like, oh, look at the first year our garden was like thistles everywhere. Like this is gorgeous. All these beautiful purple thistles. And the homeowners was like, those are noxious weeds. You can get fined for having those. You need to get those out of there. But we just basically went, dug all that we could find up, and then we put them in bags. You know, my mom told me how to do it because she's an organic gardener here in Montana. And uh, we haven't really had any thistles now. The thistles have just kind of gone away off our property. But that's the fertilizer they're using. And and if it's in the soil even, if you move into a place where they have lots of thistles and or hay and they've been spraying, that everywhere and then you try to go grow your garden in that soil you may have a problem because they've been spraying this pesticide on that as well so I had no idea about that and I think as far as like pesticides and herbicides and and um go that's uh, knowing where you live and probably we live in farm country here this used to be farmer's fields you know this was wheat fields and it probably was hay fields too like you know and so it's been sprayed with that stuff and we know it because their neighbors are spraying it everywhere. And the guy comes every spring and is spraying the ditches. Yeah. So um, things to think about like that. And I think that's a great point um, about the hay and that kind of thing. And yeah. And we're like finding organic hay where they don't spray like we can find any.
0: It It is starting to become more is common it? to okay. find organic hay. Um, but it's not easy. And it's usually more expensive.
1: Expensive, yeah. Um,
0: and I think what you can, you can find a lot more of is you can find ranchers who aren't spraying at all, or they're using something older. Um, and these are typically the older ranchers. They're still using two, four D and two, four D was one of our very early pesticides came out, you know, back in the forties or fifties or something. And it breaks down pretty quick. It can break, you know, sunlight breaks it down It breaks down within say a year, um, mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, not that I'm an advocate of pesticides, but, you know, like if, you know, if you've got to get something that has pesticides on it, that's where you want to lean towards. Um, you know, ideally, you can avoid anything with it, um, but it's challenging. It is not easy. It's one of my... Well, it was one of my biggest challenges until, you know, I became friends with one of the neighbors at our lease ground and he doesn't spray anything. He is. He's actually one of my idols. Right. He's like 80 years old. He's still hand. He still moves all his pipe by himself. Um, and granted, he's only doing like 10 acres. But man, like if I can be that guy. <laughs> Holy <at me>. <laughs> um, a
1: lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it just like and he's such a great guy um sig garland is his name um and so now i am able to get alfalfa and grass hay from him Mm -hmm. and use that and i don't have to worry about it right because he does what you do like when he's out walking his field if he says a thistle he he pulls it yeah he pulls it out
1: yeah Um, my mom was like you don't have to spray them. you just have to dig them at the right time and mm -hmm. just make sure you know they're not ready to poof seeds everywhere you have to dig them before they're mature you just dig them out the root water. You just put them in a bag and, you know, you seal up that bag and um, you, you know, she's like, but you can't, she said, don't burn them. Don't like do it. Cause the seeds will like, those things will spread and try to get them before they get any tops on them, you know, before they have any thistle on them, try to get them. And so we waited a year and then that's what we did. It was a lot of work. My yes. daughter was not very happy. We were out there digging thistles for like days but um to us it just felt more natural than spraying stuff i need that farmer's name because i want to get some stuff from him. <laughs> drive over there and get some hay unfortunately <laughs> is he, he is doing it anymore
0: no he's doing oh. it um but um, unfortunately
1: you?
0: well he sells to me but he's got folk i mean like he's he's maxed out like his stuff mm. is already spoken for mm. um and, uh, I might have a, maybe some other lines for you, um, possibly, but, but you know. I've got, uh, you know, I've got one of the things that everybody loves, which is strawberries. Um, uh. and so Sig has got Cardon Blanc to come in <gasps> my garden, um, and eat and pick strawberries for him and his wife whenever he wants. Um, and so if you're able to do that with, you know, I've got like a couple thousand strawberry plants in the ground, um, if you're able to offer that to somebody that really greases the wheels, right? Like right. that's how I grease the wheels at the bow shop and at the gun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got to get some, you brought us strawberries for one of our summits. You um, sent some strawberries over last year and we mm-hmm. had strawberry, like we had a strawberry dessert at one of our summits and it was, everybody was just like, oh, oh my gosh, these are the most amazing strawberries. So I've got to get more from you this year.
0: Well, I'm hoping to, uh, I'm hoping to come for the, not come to the family summit, but I'm hoping because I don't have CSA shares that maybe I'll come and deliver them myself and maybe hang out for a night.
1: Yeah. Come and Um, bring the kiddos. It's going to be so fun. We'd love to have you there. Yeah. um,
0: But yeah, my Uh, hope is just
1: come by yourself. And uh I'll probably
0: bring the kids if we can do it. But yeah, there'll um, be
1: tons of kids there. There's gonna be probably close to twenty kids. Yeah.
0: There. I love so Keys and Ryan be- because um I'm always telling him that he purposely plans these things, the summits because I can't come in June because I'm so busy planting.
1: I know. Uh June is like all my friends too. Why don't we get weekend in June? I was like, No, June, I can't do anything in June. I gotta yeah. work June. Um Um Oh yeah, good. Um so Yes. Strawberries are amazing. We'll talk, maybe we'll do a whole show on strawberries. I think those, yeah, we can there's do so that. much to learn about strawberries. Okay. So any other information about fertilizer now, Ryan, interestingly enough, he used to make fish fertilizer because of course mm-hmm. he was a fisherman and we had ample amounts of disgusting rotting fish <laughs> all the time, you know, that he, he had fish access to fish. And so he would make homemade fish fertilizer and it stonked to high heaven. And uh, he also made worm casting soup. These are the two things that he used to make for our garden, and they worked amazing. Um, and I've, I came across an old SD card the other day with video of Ryan before he had a beard, little little long hair, no beard, talking, telling. I videoed him showing me how to make, I think, fish fertilizer and worm casting soup. And I never did anything with them, and I'm thinking, oh, this is like prized, prized video here in our oh, old yeah. greenhouse. Anyways, um, so those are two other examples that we used to use. Um, and again, they have to be made and nurtured, and you know, you're not like making fish stuff and pouring it all over your stuff. It has to be fermented, basically.
0: Yeah, um, I would say that. Soup. You know, if you're looking to make your own like fish fertilizer or compost tea, um
1: compost tea, that's
0: it. That is um that's an involved process. And you know, I'm gonna, you know, we're not even touching the, you know, just scraping the surface here of fertilizers, but you know, I'd point you to the encyclopedia of organic gardening or get on YouTube and start diving into those things. Um mm. and you know, there is a lot more we can cover for leathers. So my rec, my primary recommendation to gardeners is a fish emulsion, which is the same thing that Ryan was making, right? Mm. And you can go buy this at your hardware store. Um, so an organic brand is Alaskan Alaskan fish um, emulsion, um, and it, it doesn't necessarily smell real good, but it's super yeah. easy. It's a liquid. It's usually like, you know, a tablespoon per gallon or maybe two tablespoons per gallon. And then it's something that you water in. Um, but it's super well-rounded and it's not going to, you know, you don't have to worry about any of the like burning stuff unless you put way too much for, you know, if you don't follow the instructions and you put two cups per gallon, you might burn your plants. Maybe. So
1: would you, would that be in re- replace of the the dry fertilizer that you would put in the hole, you would just put your plant in the hole and then you would water your plants with the fish fertilizer. Would that, absolutely. would that be a good replacement?
0: Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I we have
1: that here. That's what we use now. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I don't, I don't typically really recommend a lot of dry fertilizers to gardeners that I am, and you know, like coaching or talking through things. Yeah. My number one recommendation is uh, liquid fish emulsion. Um, And then if you want to get into dry fertilizers, and we can cover a little bit more of this later, um, or in a minute, um, that's fine. Um, It's just more nuanced and it's not as easy, right? Like liquid fish emulsion is easy, in my experience, and you're, you're probably not going to do any adverse damage to your plants or stress them out or anything. Mm. It's, It's really just straightforward and you can you know like you buy it it doesn't go bad you know you use it in a year right. or whatever um so that is my number one recommendation for everybody um and then so you know if you want to use dry fertilizers of whichever kind and i mean you can go to the store and you can see the ones that are geared towards blooming or the ones that are geared towards fruiting or all these different things like you're gonna to have to take the time to delve into that and educate yourself. Um, and, you know, again, the, you know, organic, um, encyclopedia, the encyclopedia to organic gardening covers a lot of that, you know, like I got that book open in front of me right now. And like, you know, the, the topics are dry, organic fertilizers, applying dry fertilizers, liquid, organic fertilizers, applying liquid fertilizers. And that's just the first like page, right. And there's multiple pages here talking about, all sorts of stuff it breaks down your nitrogen which is the first number your n your phosphorus which is your second number and then your potassium which is the k npk and that's your third number right mm-hmm. so it breaks down what all that means and and it you know it, one of the reasons why i recommend this book is it's just an invaluable resource for you as an individual to you know to, refer to. Um, but you know, there's all sorts of different things you can do with dry fertilizers. You can put it in the hole, stir the soil, plant on top of it. And then, so that's going to work out because it'll take time for your roots to work into the soil and into that fertilizer and start drying up those nutrients. So it's not something that's going to be like happening right away. You know, like that's going to be three, four, five weeks down the road. And it's just going to give it some food to work with. Um, Or you can do what they call top dressing, where you put your plants in and you give them some time to adjust, maybe give them a couple weeks, and then you can take a dry fertilizer and sprinkle it around the base of the plant. Mm -hmm. And then those fertilizers and nutrients are going to sink down into the soil as you water. And, um, you know, that's going to go into the plant. Um, They also have oh this is kind of nuanced but side dressing if you know if you're if you're doing long rows or something like that you can just dress to the side it's just a a variance of top dressing um and then the last thing which is more on the liquid fertilizer side is foliar feeding a very successful way to get plants um to bounce back in fact i'm gonna do this today as soon maybe not quite as soon as we get off here but um a whole bunch of my tomato parts tomato plants have been really struggling with the cold weather. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go out today um, with a, um, I don't remember, it's like a, it's like a three, 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 one, two, I think, Um, because I've got some purpling going on within my Mm -hmm. tomato plants, which is usually an effect of the cold, right? You've got cold soil, you got a cold plant and something about that relationship between the, the the plant and the cold makes it difficult for them to, to draw, um, potassium. And so a lack of potassium can cause your plants to purple. Um, and so because I've got purpling and because I've got some, some kind of stagnant root growth, I'm going to foliar feed today. And, you know, that's just something where if you're a home gardener, you know, follow the instructions on the liquid fertilizer that you buy, you know, it might be like one milliliter per gallon or whatever, Um, but you want to add the liquid fertilizer to whatever water system you're using. And then, you know, pour it into just your normal spray bottle that you have at home. Make sure there's no, you know, chemicals in there or, mm-hmm. you know, ammonia. Or <laughs> there's no
1: bleach left. In yeah, no bottle.
0: bleach in there. You know. <laughs> if you can Not afford good. it, go buy a new bottle just yeah, actually, to yeah. make sure you don't um, do anything. <laughs> but then you're just going to, you know, you're going to put that liquid fertilizer that's mixed into the water into your, your sprayer and you go around and you spray your leaves and you don't want to like have them so wet that they're like dripping and this is something that you want to do more late morning to maybe early afternoon um to give the the plant not only an opportunity to absorb it but to to then dry out you don't want them going to bed that night with super wet leaves right like that can that can cause fungal issues and other disease issues that you're not looking for. So you want to make sure you do it early enough in the day to um, make sure that they absorb it, everything, and then dry out. Um, and, you know, a spray bottle for a home gardener can be enough. If you have backpack sprayers, like I'll use my 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 uh, solo backpack sprayer, right? So mix up three gallons worth, and then I'm going to go into my greenhouse and feed, foliar feed, like... I don't know, like 1500 tomato plants. Um, And, you know, that's another great way to add a little fertilizer and that's fast, right? The plants take it up quickly. Um, And, you know, the one thing to be cautious of here, and you can do this with fish emulsion as well. You can foliar your feed with fish emulsion um, and you won't have to worry quite as much about like, the the ratio right you can do your tablespoon you know lighter side is probably yeah. more, being more cautious but you know just throw it in whatever it is that you're spraying with and then you can do this with potted plants your outdoor plants you know like nurseries you know big time tomato growers man they're feeding every week they'll foliar feed mm-hmm. all the time you know my f- friends that are big time tomato growers they're feeding foliar feeding once a week um and it just really can help your plants green up and get that nitrogen in there and Mm. um and i think in the in the marijuana world some of them that are doing hydroponics they almost only foliar feed um you know they do certain nutrients through the soil but when they're adding fertilizers they they spray the leaves Mm. um and that you know like that's just that's hearsay. <laughs> I'm just could hearing. You probably it. do
1: that with house plants too.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think yeah. any plant will take in nutrients via do the lu-
1: spray. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got to probably put them outside and do it because I don't know if you want to be spraying fish fertilizer in your house. But if you had a decent day, maybe you could just. I just take my plants out in the summer, anyways, like on a cool morning when it's warm mm-hmm. and I, on my shaded deck in the back and I spray them down and do it. And then I bring them in, let them dry out a little bit and then bring them in. I have actually screwed up and like went to work and left my plants on the deck, which by the afternoon is going to be a hundred degrees and I've killed some plants doing that. So, but that way I don't have to worry about water in the house and all that. But I think probably the fish fertilizer could work for that too. Just because, you know, like we talked about last time, house plants too. I always bring up house plants just because we live in inside so much of the year. And so I end up trying to keep plants over time and I like house plants. I think they're healthy to have in your home. And they're a great first way sometimes to learn about plants and how to take care plant, plant is a house plant. And, um, you know, you got to wash their leaves sometimes, even kind of move them sometimes. Because remember, plants are supposed to be outside and get the elements. And so move them around, wash them, spray them with water. Like, and I have a humidifier going. It's really dry here. So I have a humidifier going all winter. And it's just, you know, cold, cool air. And my plants do so much better with the humidifier going through the winter. Like they stay alive and green. Sometimes I don't even water the plants. I just turn the humidifier on and they get that humidity and they just perk right up. You can see and they're just like, oh, right. And because like my jade plant, I can't water her. I've screwed up in the past and watered over watered her. And she is mm-hmm. not happy, right? Because I keep thinking, oh, she must need more water. And I give her more water, and so I learned I can't do that. But if I just turn the humidifier on, she gets some of that humidity in her leaves, and she perks right up, um, especially in the winter. But I think house plants can be a good place to start to learn about how plants thrive and that kind of thing, um, and light and all that kind of stuff. But
0: absolutely, and you're I would agree one hundred and ten percent. House plants are good for you. They're good yeah. for your like
1: mental. I have a hard time buying issues. fake plants, so. Fake plants are easy because you don't have to do anything to them and you don't have to water them. And I I see them, like we bought a couple for Paley's little room. She's not going to have, you know, having real plants in her room is kind of like, I don't know how they're going to do if I'm not paying attention to them. And they're so nice and you got them, they're good decoration and -hmm. they do green things up. But I don't like buying fake plants. Like if I'm going to buy, if I'm going to spend a hundred bucks on a plant, (laughs) I'm going to buy a real beautiful plant. You know what I mean? But you have to take care of it and you have to learn about it because you'll kill it. You, you will kill it if you don't pay attention to what it needs. So, um, but I, I wouldn't spray the fish fertilizer all over my house plants in the house, but giving them a good dose of it, maybe, I guess I could, I don't know. It's how, it's how strong you probably make it, but yeah, that or I'll have my dogs licking my plants, which they'll do <laughs> right. I've put fertilizer in my plants and I'll my dog is eating out of the soil. Like she's like, Oh, there's fertilizer, you know, like it's got some organic natural fertilizer. And I'm like, why are you in the plant? She's like eating in the plants. Like, no, 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 no. So
0: no, they do. They smell it. Yeah. yeah I do. A, really. My dry fertilizer is a bio fish, Um yeah. And yeah, they, the dogs perk up. They're like, where's that <laughs> fish? I need to roll in it. I need to do something. I know. Um, so I think with, you know, the last, maybe the last thing we'll we'll close with on fertilizer is that, You know, this is one of the areas where you really want to try and take the time to do some research, you know, like, and find some, some sources of information that can help educate you and guide you along the way. And, you know, like if you can't afford to buy the encyclopedia, you know, get on YouTube um, and, um, You know, whatever it is, or, you know, like a thought I had that I was going to plug, you know, on this podcast was mentors, you know, if you can find a mentor, and you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a farmer or whatever. But if you can find a mentor for gardening, just like it's important in hunting, like, that can really help cut your learning curve, right? And, you know, like that is a huge point of conversation with the hunting community these days. And I think that should be the same thing within the gardening community, like look for mentors. Um, and even if they're online, you know, like maybe you can find somebody that's an experienced gardener that's on Instagram in your area or something. Ideally, it's somebody that if you can, you can meet up with them or get onto a, a gardening blog i'm not really a blogger but you know go into those forums if you're into that type of thing and and follow those discussions and ask questions um because there's just a ton of information as far as you know like this goes and you know like we could spend weeks trying to talk about that here
1: yeah yeah i think that's good for all kinds of things in life. So having a mentor a coach somebody Mm to help you problem solve somebody who's been doing it a while who um, may know right off the bat to tell you what to do yes
0: yes and i mean like i have my mentors right like um i have called them a couple of times this week um and you know my mentors are typically farmers and they're my my some of my best friends as well the farm i mentioned over in idaho affinity farm um and you know i was i'm i'm playing around and learning about grafting called them up this week and was had questions about grafting um i'm getting ready to call them really soon to talk about what's going on with my tomato plants and what their thoughts are on it um Mm -hmm. and you know sometimes having a mentor is just kind of bouncing you know what's going on and getting some feedback and that can kind of you know like i was I was stressed out about my tomato plants. Um, you know, it's a lot of money to me. Um, Mm -hmm. and just getting a little bit of feedback can help bring down some of that stress level and give you a little bit of, um, a little bit of perspective perhaps is the right word. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you can find it, go for
1: it. Okay. Good advice. All right. Well, what are we going to talk about now?
0: Well, should we try and close with watering systems?
1: Yeah, let's talk about watering systems.
0: Okay. So I think the first thing that I want to hit on as far as watering goes is hoses. So most folks don't realize that their garden hoses have lead in. Um, And unless you live in the state of California, and I know California gets a lot of grief, But sometimes having a government that's looking out for your best interests um, can be helpful. And in this case, California is like the only state that does not allow garden hoses with lead inside of them.
1: Wow, really?
0: Yes. So if you go into your hardware store and start looking around at the garden, you know, your your hoses for watering, not potable water. We'll we'll get, get into that, right? If you start looking at your garden hoses, start reading labels, right? Back to reading labels. It'll say in there, contains lead. Um, and that is something that um, I really try and caution people about. Like if, if you're going to be using garden, garden hoses, see what you can do to find a, a lead-free one. Okay. Sometimes that means you have to get hoses that are made for potable water. And typically they're made for, you know, like the folks that have the big fifth wheels and trailers. Um, And and they're not usually as, you know, they don't typically live as long, last as long, you know, they break down in the sun quicker. So maybe it's only a hose that lasts you three to five years or whatever, but there's no lead in. So be mindful of that. And more than likely there's a lot of folks that are listening that already have garden hoses, right? um my suspicion is is that they're the typical and they i don't know why they have lead in them i can't tell you any of that but almost all garden hoses if you look at the labels say contains lead or has lead or something about lead um And unfortunately the company that we got all of our garden hoses from is no longer in business. So, you know, if somebody can find a company that's making hoses that doesn't contain lead and that they're strong and durable, let me know. Um, Because we're on the hunt too. Um, Other than the potable water hoses, you know, like we've got these, our, our like primary hoses that we use are called gator height hoses. And um, we bought them in our very first year of farming, but, you can't find them anymore. They're not manufactured anymore for whatever reason. Um,
1: wow. That's it, really disturbing. Actually. It,
0: it is. It, it, and it's, it's, it, you know, it, you know, for me, it brings up all the poor communities in the U S that lead in their pipes and, you know, and we're seeing this everywhere. Like Flint, Michigan is not, you know, they might be the worst example, but you know, it's cropping up everywhere. You know, my kids school, they're testing for lead in the pipes there and the, le- the levels are fairly high yeah um they're not i would out bet of, if they
1: tested most old schools and public places they'd yes. be shocked. Yeah.
0: yep they probably um, would um so that is one of the first things i like try as far as watering systems to make sure that people are knowledgeable about um is that you know, like your garden hoses are going to contain lead and who cares if you're watering your lawn right most people aren't out there eating their grass but if you're watering your um garden with a hose And it's out in the sun right and it's breaking down and all those you know and you you, maybe the maybe the water as it's going through isn't picking up lead but you turn your system off your hose off and that water that's still in the hose is sitting in there in the sun breaking down and that may get a little bit of lead Mm, and the thing behind lead that most people don't really understand is that it's cumulative Right. So lead is something that builds up in your body over time. So it may not affect you now, but maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now, you've got elevated lead levels, and then you start getting, you know, the detrimental effects from that. Hmm. Which coming from where I'm from, and particularly where my dad's from, lead poisoning is pretty predominant because it's heavy mining areas in Northern Ireland.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny as I had a blood test done when i was breastfeeding tana because i wasn't feeling very good i lost a lot of weight and it was a nutrient test and part of the test was they also ran heavy metals to see and i was high in both mercury and lead Mm -hmm. and i couldn't figure out like why would i be high in mercury and lead but when i talked to the lab she said well um when you're you, you know typically most women who are breastfeeding are having some nutrient deficiencies and you're you were born in the 70s when like lead paint and all this stuff was still pretty prevalent and so we store lead typically in the bone mass Mm -hmm. Um, mercury we tend to store in neural tissue and that in fats but uh, lead is has an affinity for bone and so she said probably you know you're breaking some of your bone down just for nutrients which can happen naturally you know your body is always turning over and it's always trying to figure out where to get stuff so you have a lot of minerals in your bone But unfortunately, what comes with that is what's in your bone. And if you've stored any lead in your bones, then you're going to have more in your bloodstream. So, you know, they were like, well, you should figure out where you're getting acute, if you're getting any acute things, or you just need a lot more antioxidants and stuff. Because even if you get the heavy metal into your blood, like glutathione and um, different antioxidants, that helps you bind it up and then get rid of it which is what you want to do which would be like sort of like chelation kind of stuff and um, I was like wow but she said I would really recommend you quit breastfeeding because you're breaking your bone down and it's like your daughter is getting that in the milk and um, so I never really thought about that and I retested quite a bit later and I didn't have those levels so Something to think about, and I had no idea with the hose thing. I mean, as many years as we've been gardening, now that makes me a little suspicious too. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. And
0: I mean, I didn't know it either until I, I, you know, I started my own farms and started hunting for hoses. And you know, I, I guess I'm kind of fortunate and lucky in the in the fact that I started learning to read labels shortly out of the military, and and that habit kind of has bled over into other areas and so you know like reading labels and i also have you know like a really smart partners in the sciences and stuff and so reading labels on hoses and you start to be like what do you mean contains lead why why would there be lead in um but it's something to be aware of um
1: so we need to go to california and fill our truck up with hoses and come back all you californians out there bring me some horses with no lead in them
0: yeah just just don't stay
1: that or there's no hoses in california i don't know what's going on there
0: well the supply supply issues we got right now who knows
1: yeah um, for sure
0: so that's one huh. thing to be aware of and then so like as okay. far as watering goes like it can be important to try and you know we'll start simple so most folks are either using their sprinkler system that they've already got in the ground that is um going to water their garden maybe for them or they're going to, you know, use, uh, you know, like a typical, I don't know, uh, I'm blanking on the name, um, sprinkler that um, is going to water, you know, patches of your garden or whatever. And, And that's all fine. I think for the home gardener, that's just fine. And if that's what you can afford, do it. Like, you know, do what you can afford first and foremost. However, as you move deeper into this process, um, you're gonna discover that, you know, like if if you're overhead watering, right? So if you're using a sprinkler and you're just kind of throwing water out there and it's hitting the soil and the plants, that can cause some things to happen. That can cause some fungus to occur, particularly with, you know, like a tomato, you might get some early blight or some type of late blight. Um, And so you wanna be cautious of that or cognizant, you know, you wanna be aware. So, you know, maybe you're watering first thing in the morning. Um, I try and advocate for people not to water in the heat of the day because most of your water is going to evaporate off um, and water is precious. Um, and so, you know, ideally, if you can water maybe early in the morning or late in the evening, um, try not to overwater if you can. Keep an eye on that. Um, and, you know, if you're stuck with the sprinklers, don't stress out about it. Right. Like, don't don't make that this issue that it doesn't need to be just run with it um, and see what happens. And if you run into some issues, you can work on that slowly. Now, if you've got a larger budget and you're able to work on things, you can start looking at things like a drip system or um, maybe. Um, uh the feeders i'm having a hard time self-watering systems yeah Yeah. this is you know like and you don't necessarily have to have timers right um you can if you want like that's another thing that's a little more accessible to the gardener is timers because you don't have to you know like for me i'd have to buy like 10 timers so sometimes i feel for me that's cost prohibitive whereas a lot of farms love their timers right um, but my farm is small enough that um, I can manage it mostly just by going around and doing my thing. Um, and I like to have that opportunity to see where everything's at. Um, so um, if you can do a drip system, hardware store is going to help you out. Or if you want to do like an online, my recommendation for drip sy- systems is DripWorks, And that's just dripworks.com. Um, And they've got all sorts of different like drip systems that you can work with. Um, So there's the tubing um, that you can buy that, that, you know, like, so you're buying tubing and you put it around your fruit tree or you can do, you know, a little piece of tubing that goes around each plant. It kind of just depends on how big, you know, if you've got six boxes and 50 plants, then maybe you can do a small piece of tubing around each one or you can do, um, what we do is we do drip tape, which is a uh, like a flat tape that has emitters at a, a certain spacing, uh, whether it's four, six, eight, twelve, 12, it just kind of depends um, what you want to get. We, we use all drip tape. Um, and then, so you're going to end up with like your mainline tubing, You know, you'll probably have a pressure reducer because like a lot of the systems are low pressure. Um, And then your mainline tubing is going to go from like your spigot out to your garden bed and then, you know, branch off from there and you can add valves in and then, you know, you lay your drip tape out and you can water that way. Now, some of the advantages to having a drip system are you're not putting water on the leaves or and risking any type of exposure to fungus or blights or any type of disease that may collect via the water on the leaves you're also reducing the amount of water that you're going to use with a drip system and your efficiency is going to go way up Mm -hmm. Um, drip systems um, you know whether it's the drip tape or the tubing the way that they water is in kind of a cone like an you know you can like upside down cone right so the water spreads down and out um and you you can put more you can use less water more efficiently with a drip system um and you can be more targeting right so you can target things um And which can be really advantageous. And this is something if you're overhead watering as well, once you start to get into a certain point of the season, say into July and August, right? You're looking at your tomatoes ripening up, but you've got your tomatoes and your salad or head lettuce next to each other. You want to see if you can figure out ways to water things a little bit more selectively, right? Because your tomatoes are going to want less water later in the season in order to get your fruit to ripen, as well as to avoid cracking your fruit. Mm. Too much water will crack your tomatoes, as well as the plant gets kind of confused, right? If it's getting lots and lots of water, it doesn't realize that it's August, Still kind of cool. It's getting lots of water, so it doesn't force its fruit to ripen. But you're getting into August, and if you're in a shorter season, you're starting to look at you've only got maybe four or five more weeks left, and you don't have any ripe tomatoes yet. Usually, that is a, a point of stress, right? Those those plants in the real natural world, right? Typically, we get into August. There's way less water. That's a signal to the plant to begin ripening their fruit in order to get that seed ready for the next, you know, for the next fall. And the way that tomatoes get their seeds ready is they ripen the fruit to raise the acidity level within the fruit to break down the cell wall of the seed. So you want to, you want to kind of trick that plant into thinking fall is coming. Stress, you know, it's kind of counterproductive counter of what we talked about earlier once you're in the mature stage and you've got nice big fruit you want to stress them out so that they start to to ripen up and give you something to work with Um, tomatoes in particular i can't tell you how many times i have conversations at the farm stands with folks and they're just like my tomatoes aren't ripening i don't know what's going on you've got all these tomatoes out here what's what what are you doing differently and it's watering Mm -hmm. I am watering my tomato plants way, way less. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, like we get into that time of year and I'm watering my tomato plants maybe once a week for maybe five to 10 minutes at a time. I'm just trying to make sure that they're not wilting and they're not dying. And other than that, let them go. And they'll, you know, that fruit will start ripening up and you can start eating. But that's not the case. Right for lettuce, lettuce can't go more than a couple of days. It doesn't want to dry out. Mm-hmm. Same thing, maybe with like um, your cucumbers or um, um, carrots or you know any of the other things that are going to like a little bit more water. So that can be one of the challenges to watering with sprinklers. And again, if you're if you're stuck with sprinklers, just try and work it out. You know, maybe you get to a point of the year where you can water by hand a little bit. And not water your tomatoes or you know if you end up having lots of green tomatoes on the vine start picking them off of there and let them ripen on your count that's you know another trick that you can do if you can't separate your watering some way um but that is where the you know the drip systems and being able to isolate when you're watering where can be really advantageous in that regard um and I think, I don't know, that kind of covers watering systems in a, in a simple fashion. And, you know, if you go on to Drip Works, they're going to have pictures and like demonstrations of like how to do it. And they've got kits, right? They've got like gardening yeah. kits, um, you know, like and they'll sell you things that are more geared towards you. You know, you don't have to buy like I buy drip tape by the 7000 feet rolls, right? A big old roll. Um, so, you know, highly recommend drip works. Um, I, they're either out of Oregon or California, but they're a really good company to work with. Um, or go down to your hardware store. There's all sorts of drip, you know, like I shop at ACE all the time, primarily because I get a veteran's discount, but, um, therefore, you know, ACE is really almost any hardware store is going to be pretty knowledgeable about the watering systems that they have. Um, and they're going to be able to help you out.
1: Well, we had trees put in last year and they put, uh, a off of our well, he put a drip system and each tree got its own watering. Because we have clay soil and he was like, the problem here is you'll actually drown your trees Mm -hmm. if you water them too much because the clay holds onto the water. So it's set up on a system and they put it on our well and it just comes off and so all our trees have like an irrigation system that feeds them and they're they're doing great. And so here, I think the drip system makes the best now that we've been here a couple of years, like sprinkling system is hard because ours, it gets so hot and it dries out really easily. And like I said, we also get the minerals that coat everything. And then we're not here, you know, like we're gone a lot. We don't want to be, that's the one thing I hated about gardening season in Washington was everything revolved around the garden it was like we can't leave because we either have to plant, we have to harvest, we have to water. And you know, granted Washington maybe has one or two hot months and and the rest of the time you can probably get away with it. But um, because we get a lot of rain there, um, it, it could be kind of a pain sometimes. So here it's kind of the same thing, but I think the watering system would be much more advantageous due to the extreme weather that we have here. And I've noticed it with the trees when they put in the strip system with the trees, it's like worked really well. It looks like all our trees survived and they're all coming back. So and I didn't have to water one tree. Yeah. (laughs) That's fantastic.
0: And that (laughs) is and timers can help you with your vacation time. And you know, a
1: timer, but I think when you say like you don't want to do in the heat of the day, you know, the days are really long here. People forget. And so we get a ninety five degree, 95 degree day, and it doesn't get dark until 11 o'clock at night, you know, it'll water early first thing in the morning. And then even if it's on a 10 hour timer, sometimes it's still pretty warm and we have Southern facing. So, um, and it's hard because we don't have a greenhouse yet. So in Washington, we could control our tomatoes. We had a controlled environment because I felt like tomatoes and peppers and Herbs, some of the herbs and just some of the stuff that we had in the greenhouse, they were, they needed that controlled environment, you know. Here you've got the wind, you've got the heat, you've got that. And so we tried, tomatoes didn't do very good here. And probably because they were on the system, the watering system Ryan had, and they were getting too much water. And then it was too hot and too windy. We were having to build barriers from the wind and they just, they just didn't like it. That was too much stress, I think. Yeah. So um, to, to, for us probably here, we need a more controlled environment for those types of vegetables. And then I would also think when it comes to watering, knowing what plants grow well together and what plants need to be watered. So if you're going to maybe put carrots and lettuce together in a box because carrots and lettuce, even if you're doing a sprinkler system, you can direct your sprinklers going on the boxes that need water consistently. And then you have that area of your garden that you're you're doing your tomatoes and other plants that may not need as much water right yes so companion planning and maybe we haven't really talked about companion planning and maybe we can in the future like which what types of vegetables do good with each other for companion planning and watering sounds like that's part of it
0: It is. And it's been one of my experiences too. And I should probably maybe clarify a little bit. So if you have a drip system or want to get into a drip system, you can get away with watering in the heat of the day more. Um, And then another trick that you can do is you can mulch over the top, you know, with, with your grass clippings or with, you know, hay or whatever it is that you want. Um, You can mulch over the top of your drip system and that will help retain moisture as well right. and decrease the number of times that you have to water, but also like maintain like that moisture level during the heat of the day. So if you've got a drip system, you can you can definitely water at more times.
1: Yeah, and that's how I see it. I see that we could water in a hot time of day without the leaves and everything getting wet and evaporating.
0: Yes absolutely yeah and again like you know like that is not a must you do not have to follow that to the letter right if if you have to water in the middle of the day go for it and you know like this is just like ideal scenarios as far as that goes right like well the other thing
1: is is what if we have some things planted in the ground like we have berry plants that we planted and like only a handful of them made it because it's so clay mm -hmm. and we have to build our soil up but a lot of our stuff is in boxes So if it's all getting watered, we're maybe drowning our berry plants because they're in clay, and then our boxes are doing good because they're not in clay, right? So that's another thing about strategically, the drip system might be better because the things that are planted in the actual ground, because of the soil, you know, as it gets better, it will change, but it's not—it's going to hold water more, So just like our trees. We don't want to be overwatering our trees because we're going to drown them. So that's another thought that I had. Maybe the berry plants didn't do so well because they were getting overwatered in the clay soil.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely possible. And with less yeah. root structure, the less they drink, right? Like so and that, you yeah. know, that can be a challenge. And so as your, your plants get bigger and bigger and ideally the root structure is also growing, they're going to take up more water um, and sometimes need more water um, and, you know, depending on what it is. Maybe less just because you're trying to stress it out. And we definitely should try and um, tackle companion planting a little bit um, because it, it can't. You know, I like permaculture, but our attempts at doing more permaculture ran into some things that, because of watering and, you know, and because this is a production farm, didn't work out as well because, you know, like having your carrots planted in with your You know, tomatoes or whatever just didn't work because I couldn't water them enough. Um, And you know, sometimes I end up watering my lettuce. So we do a lot of um, baby greens, and I will straight up will be it'll be ninety eight degrees outside, and the only way I can keep those baby greens from wilting is to run that drip tape all through the heat of the day, Mm. Um, and that will keep it cool enough and then wet enough that they won't wilt out and get sad. Um, so, you know, like, again, keep an eye on your microclimate, keep an eye on what's going on in your garden and see if you can figure out what works best for you. Um, and then, you know, go from there.
1: Yeah, cool. Love it. Um, okay. One last question about water. So what about collecting water? So in Washington, we obviously got a lot of water throughout the year and we collected a lot of it in barrels, you know, we'd get big barrels and then we would use that water throughout the season to water either in our greenhouse or whatnot. Um, are there anything to look for when you're collecting water that you want to watch out for? Um, and I don't know, maybe you don't know anything about this, but. We oh, I got a few insights. Use it, Okay.
0: Um, so if you can collect water, do it. Um, water is a precious resource. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's going to get more precious as time goes by. As, excuse me, as time goes by. Um, so definitely advocate for collecting water. Um, some of the things you want to be, or maybe one of the main things you want to be aware of um, with collecting water is how you're collecting it so if you're collecting say you're collecting from your roof right the water runs off your roof and you're collecting out of your gutters um what type of roof do you have do you have a steel roof do you have a metal roof of some kind or do you have an asphalt shingle roof so if you have an asphalt shingle roof there may be so there it gets a little complicated but asphalt shingle roofs are going to have some chemicals that come off of them and it it can be higher depending on where you are in the life of the shingles right so brand new shingles are going to put out more stuff right as the shingles get older you're going to get less whatever it is that's in there um and so you know when we had an asphalt shingle roof we were we decided not to collect water we just decided the risk was was too high and we really just you know with our research we couldn't quite figure out what it was we might be ingesting or feeding into the plants and putting into the ground um so you know how you're collecting that water you know is or where you're collecting that water is probably the first thing to think about like is it coming off of my roof and what kind of roof i've got um so if you've got a metal roof or maybe you've got one of the you know like white type of plastic type of roofs or you know maybe flat roofs or you know if you're lucky you're down in arizona or something you got terracotta tile roofs um you're good you're pretty good to go there's you know unless you know something is in the air and settles on your roof i don't know of a lot of um of chemical bleed over or anything that comes onto the water. So then it just comes to like how you're collecting, you know, so are you collecting into, you know, rain into gutters and then, you know, going down into to barrels, whether that's like the 55 gallon barrels, or maybe you can find some of the big, those big white square, we call them a water Buffalo, but they've got the metal cage over them. Um, mm-hmm. And, You know, so then it goes into what you're collecting it into. And then the next kind of like part of that is like whatever it is you're collecting that water into, how are you getting it out? So if you're collecting into barrels, are you putting a spigot down on the bottom and then running a hose from there and doing kind of a gravity feed? Or if you've got a like really big water buffalo, maybe you're putting a pump down in there and pumping it up out and, you know, moving it into your garden. Um, and for the most part, I think that's an amazing option and to go for it and do it if you can. And if you have concerns, you know, and about the water and maybe what's it in, then collect water and direct it towards things that aren't going to be, you're not going to be eating, you know, whether it's your rose bushes, whether it's your perennials, flowers, whatever it may be, you know, even if you've got an asphalt shingle roof. You can you can send that there as long as you know that you're not mm-hmm. going to be growing food um, out of that at some point in time. You know you could get you know you could do that. I mean, you might be putting some yucky stuff into the into the soil, but you know you if you've got asphalt single roofs, that's going to happen anyway, right? It's coming off your roof, right. and going into the grass. Um, that's just kind of a byproduct of of modern society. Um, okay. And that That's might be that might be about it for water collection, I think. Okay. I mean, you right. could probably, I mean, obviously you get much more in depth into this, yeah. um, but I think, you know, the nuances are, where is it coming from? What are you putting it in? And then how are you getting it out of there?
1: Right. And how are you monitoring it? Because in Washington, we would have problems with mosquitoes and stuff. So <laughs> like making sure that your water systems are like covered or taken care of and not just sitting open water because then you have bugs and mosquitoes and pests and stuff that can happen with that we've experienced that at least in the wetter more humid climates or you know where mosquitoes are an issue um but cool well again we've touched on a bunch of stuff here i might even split this into two podcasts um just because of the amount of information that's in here um yeah, let's do it again. Uh, planting season is coming. You're already in planting season. You're in, you're in potting and repotting season right now, And right? Absolutely. And you've got, um, we planted this last week. I planted my flowers, but I also planted some strawberries. We do have strawberries in the garden, but they need some love. But I got these strawberry bags. I saw at the nursery where you plant the strawberries and then they hang up. And you can hang them. So I can hang them outside my door or, you know, as they get more mature and have um, fresh strawberry plants here. So we're going to try that this year, just a couple bags, just to see how that works. Nice. Um, for me, um, learning about my microclimate is I need to have things sometimes that I can just bring in the house. Like if the weather is, if the wind is atrocious on a day, you know, and some something I can like actually pick up and bring in the house if I need to if I know it's going to really get beat up outside you know um some of those things I'm starting to figure out like are nice um to have those options i mean obviously the garden it, i can't pick up boxes and bring them in the house but some of these other things that i'd kind of like to keep going and we do got we got a lot of strawberries out there that need to be um cleaned up and fixed right now but we didn't get really much of a strawberry harvest last year um, I'm not quite sure what happened there. Maybe we didn't feed them enough or something. And maybe we can do an another podcast on strawberries, tomatoes, some of these more common things that people have, and, and maybe some tricks on how to get stuff to grow and um, get yield bigger harvests. Maybe that would be absolutely, of, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And yeah, I mean it. It is. It's that. It's that time of year. Farmer, you know, we had our first farmers market. I went to the farmers market yesterday and sold plants and. Um, so, you know, we're, we're in it, it's time to start working on gardens and start planting. And, you know, if you've got a farmer's market in your area, go and see what is available. And, you know, the, the growers are always coming up with fun things The folks next to me at market had a bunch of new strawberry plants that they were selling and, and, um, little four inch pots. And something I've always wanted to do is hanging baskets with strawberries in it. Mm -hmm. I've never, never done it, but I think that's a really fun thing you can do Mm -hmm. is, um, hanging baskets with strawberries in them. Um, and yeah, go out and get outside and get some sun and vitamin D and Mm -hmm. plant and work in the garden, start digging the soil. Ideally things will warm up soon.
1: (laughs) Well, it's sunny out now it well, was snowing and, when we started talking and now it's melted and it's sunny so that's montana for you
0: yeah and you know <laughs> to be clear like for folks you can be planting kale chard right pea, yeah radishes like there is cold tolerant things that can be going in the ground right oh. now and will be happy to go in the ground they'll be giving you um you know they'll be producing in four or five weeks right right so, yeah. so um, i gotta
1: get on it Crack the whip. Yeah,
0: we both do. I I, I,
1: I do not envy you like gardening is your job, like farming. That's such hard work and staying on top of this, you know, especially when you have days, you're just like, Oh, I do not want to go out there. And, you know, me, I, I, last time I talked to you, I was going to do it and I didn't do it. But we've had crazy weather this week as well. And I just didn't get out there and get those boxes amended. So, I'm going to do it this week. It's my goal.
0: Get out there, folks. Get out, do it. If you need motivation, go by your local farm. I was planting head lettuce in the rain with Prairie the other night. Um, (laughs) There's no days off. And I'll give you one more more quick, funny farmer tip. Don't wish your farmers, if you have farmers that you interact with regularly, don't wish them to have a good weekend because Um, we don't have weekends. (laughs) we work every day um year, we work every day so um skip to have a good weekend and just Mm. tell them to like have a great day and and work hard and yeah look forward to that happy
1: Happy harvest happy harvest happy harvest yeah so okay sean well go enjoy this mother's day i guess prairie's back so you guys have a great day happy mother's day to her um, and my mother and aunt are coming over, and we're going to have a women's day here, which will be wonderful and um we will talk again next time, Yes. but numerous things we can talk about, but
0: oh yeah, we got lots we can you. talk about and yeah. thank you very much. I'll pass that along to Prairie and again, happy mother's day to you and thank I you. hope you guys enjoy your your women's day there
1: <laughs> we will it'll be nice it'll be nice i i um I want to go out and work in the garden today, but I think I've got to do some other things. So just one day at a time, but the snow was beautiful. I was like, great. I'm off to garden today. (laughs) It's snowing now. It's not snowing though. Oh, well. Okay. Have a great day.
0: All right. Thanks doc.
1: Okay. See ya.